with you, but you can also get a lot of your questions answered and ways to connect with us using that little QR code, and it'll take you to a uh, document to help you know more about Etna Green. Uh, in your Bibles, if you'd like to turn to Matthew chapter 28, this will be our last message. This will be our last message in our series that has walked us through the book of Matthew, and we've called it Kingdom Come. And Jesus' uh, sort of culmination of the resurrection and his ministry and everything that uh, sort of uh, came about that we celebrated last week is that the kingdom has uh, come in Jesus Christ and the resurrected Lord, that this is the beginning of new creation and new life. And so we celebrate this new life, and, and Jesus gives his sort of last commission to his disciples and uh, calling them uh, to live uh, for him and glorify him. And so today is just an encouragement to find our lives today in Jesus Christ. And what does it mean uh, to live under his authority and how is he directing us? Uh, Mike and Rich had a crazy week this week. Um, they're looking at me funny because I'm making up a story. Uh, and uh, they were visited by the EPA this week. They were out at the field and they were like doing some inspections and and Rich and Mike, they both encouraged the guy not to go over to a certain field. And the EPA guy was upset with them, and he pulled out of his back pocket, and he flashed him a badge. And the badge, he said, you see this badge? This means I can go wherever I want to. And Mike and Rich just said, okay, that's fine, that's fine. And so a few minutes later, he had gone and wandered into the field that they warned him about, and they see the guy just hightailing it. I mean, he's, he's running as fast as he can, and Mike and Rich both, they knew what was going on. Old Henry, the old bull that, back in the back, uh, he had been chasing after him, and, and Mike and Rich both said, show him your badge, show him your badge. That's an old Reader's Digest joke. I've fine-tuned it for the crowd, uh, but... Uh, uh, today we're going to talk about authority. And Jesus, uh, what we have tracked throughout the Gospel of Matthew is Jesus' authority. That Jesus comes and enters into the world. In Matthew chapter 1, we see Jesus uh, is right in line with, with what God is doing to bring about a king. That his ge genealogy connects him uh, to Israel and to King David. And all the way back to the promise given to Abraham. That this Jesus is one who has true authority, genuine authority that comes from his people, from his promise, from the promise God gave, and that his family lineage points to his true, acceptable authority. He is a part of God's family. We see uh, Jesus' authority on display in all of his miracles, in the raising of the dead, and in healing the sick, and giving sight to the blind, that Jesus has authority over sickness. We see Jesus' authority over, uh, over creation, over the sea when he calms the storms. We see Jesus' authority over creation and life and food and all that we need when we see Jesus breaking bread and feeding thousands. Then we saw Jesus' authority to forgive sins throughout the story and, and healing uh, not only the physical wounds, but the emotional and the brokenness and the sinful wounds of creation, that Jesus would have authority to forgive sins. We see Jesus' authority to forgive sins on the cross as he pours out his life as a sacrifice for all for, uh, to heal us as the lamb, sacrificial lamb. 
We see Jesus' authority over death in the resurrection into new life. Jesus has authority and power over all things. And the question I have for you today is, is where does Jesus' authority end? It is over all of those things. Does Jesus have authority over you? Does Jesus have power and authority over your life? Because that's ultimately what this story is about. And when we say we want to have life in the kingdom of God, when we want to have eternal life with Jesus, when we say we want to follow him and be his disciples, what we are saying is, Jesus, you have authority over my life. We sang songs beautifully of surrendering our lives to God. All I, I give you all that I have. I surrender all that I am. And as I sang those words with you, I was thinking, is that true? Is that true that I have fully surrendered to God everything about me? Everything that I have, all of my possessions, have I surrendered my family? Have I surrendered my ego? Have I surrendered people's perception of me? Have I surrendered all of the things that I sort of do to prop myself up so that you think well of me? Have I surrendered all of my possessions? Have I surrendered my time? Have I surrendered my attention? Have I surrendered all that there is about me to Jesus Christ? And what I'm asking is, is have I given into Jesus' authority in my life? Do I embrace his leadership in every aspect of my, my life and my family and how I care for you? Do I trust in Jesus? And that is a question that every single one of us needs to ask as a result of walking through the gospel of Matthew slowly. We have to ask, does Jesus' authority end where it meets me? Or does Jesus reign? Does he reign in my life? And do I walk with him? The disciples were uh, encouraged by the women to go and meet Jesus and go into Galilee and, Jesus, and find Jesus there. And so in Matthew 28, the disciples, they make their way uh, to the mountain where, they tell, uh, where Jesus tells them to go. And there, Jesus are, and there they fall down and they worship Jesus they worship him. And the story that I shared last week in the, uh, in the resurrection story of Jesus, I was weaving together the mountaintop experiences of the disciples and people interacting with Jesus and how that connected to the story of Exodus. And the end result was hopefully you seeing that as God brought about a new, uh, an exodus in, for the life of Israel, God has started a new exodus for people to leave sin and leave death behind and experience a new life. There's one more mountain, mountaintop experience for the disciples, and it's the very end, it's Matthew 28 and 16. And the disciples there, they are given instruction, and it's one more time in which the Israelites are encouraged to worship God on the mountain. And there's a beautiful connection here that the disciples are welcomed to this mountain to worship God. Then the Israelites, they weren't allowed to touch the mountain that Moses was on. Their God and Moses are up there hanging out and talking, but they weren't allowed to even go near it and touch it. It would bring certain death to them. But we don't go to a mountain filled with fear and trembling. We go to a mountain filled with praise. 
they are celebrating the risen Lord. They are celebrating the risen Jesus, one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. And so they worship and they glorify him. But then it says in Matthew 28, it says that they worshiped him. And then it says this really peculiar thing. But some of them doubted. Some of them doubted. Now, I'm thankful to friends in ministry, my friends Mark and, and Lauren and, and Bryce. We've all been working on this series together, and, and they're the ones that pointed out that the word there uh, is not necessarily best interpreted as doubted. Uh, they said that there's actually a second, second word, and sure enough, when I actually dug into my Greek resources, I was like, oh, looky there. Uh, we use the word doubted, and doubted has a lot of negative connotations, right? It feels like maybe the disciples were kind of foolish. Like, how do you see the risen Jesus, all that he accomplished, and then doubt, right? Like, that doesn't feel right. And here's the second, the second word, the second possible translation is the word hesitated. And some of them hesitated. And I liken it to this. Have you ever plugged in to your Google Maps on your phone and it gives you, uh, you plug in the address and it gives you four different options to get to the same spot? Well, there's a hesitation, right? You say, well, what path do I choose? And, you know, you can go for the no toll route, you, uh, no toll roads, which is optimal. You know, you don't want to give, give the man any more money than you have to, right? The... Uh, or there's the, um, you can make the mistake that I did one time where uh, I accidentally put the walking path, not the driving path. Um, don't do that. It takes a while. Ricky probably remembers that one. We we're trying to get to the sand dunes, and it, it took two hours when it should have taken 45 minutes. Um, but you have all of these options, and you have to figure out, well, what is the path that I'm going to take? And if you consider for a moment what the disciples have gone through, what do they do now in light of the resurrected Jesus has defeated death? I'm going to grant them the right to have a little hesitation. That they're hesitating. What path do I now take that Jesus is risen from the dead? What path do I now take that I realize that his kingdom has broken into the world? What path do I now take? What does my life mean to surrender all to him? And how does that look? And praise Jesus, he knows the hesitation, he knows that maybe there were doubts, and he knows our frailties and our brokenness and our needs, and so Jesus, he speaks with absolute clarity the directive that we should go. And he says, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. All authority. There, are, there is no grounds in which my reign and my power and my presence cannot go my presence stretches across humanity and the known world and beyond. All the authority is Jesus Christ. All authority is his. And it's not fake authority hidden behind a badge. It's divine authority given to him through all that we've looked at through the Gospel of Matthew. That Jesus, his lineage points to his authority, his power over the sea points to his authority, his power over sin and death points to his real authority. It's not some false thing propped up, it is genuine and real. 
And the disciples are encouraged to say, you know what, we find our lives in his authority and living under it. And so it's that pressing question that should sink into our hearts and our minds and say, have I lived, have I decided to surrender all to his authority and to who he is and what he's done? And that's a, you know, that feels like a daily sort of thing, right? That we need to surrender ourselves daily to the authority of Christ. My, uh, my niece, Michaela, she's a very, very talented young artist and uh, just a real aspiring Bob Ross. Uh, she's very, very gifted and uh, she's working on the hair too. No, the, uh, but she was given a task. She was commissioned by her school to paint a mural uh, for her school. Now, she did an amazing job, and she finished the project, and it took her all year. And, and for her to do it, uh, the leadership gave her resources, gave her the paint, gave her kind of a little bit of the directive. And they said, use your talents and use your time to make our school more beautiful. And she did it. And, uh, you know, if I was well prepared, I'd show you the canvas. But I didn't want to oversell it, and then you'd be disappointed. I might have uncle blinders on, thinking she's amazing, so I don't know. And I also am not a good judge of art. There's a lot of insecurities going on. But, um, but, but there's a point to this. She was commissioned by the school to go out and do it. One, no one would ever ask me to do that. But what if without the commissioning, without the authority being given and transferred, how much trouble would Michaela have gotten into if she just started going about painting the school? When the one who has given us all authority, who has it in all of heaven and all of earth, commissions us to do something, it is not some sort of empty gesture. It is a task being given us to be on mission with God. And so it's not just a question of have I given my heart and allegiances to Jesus. It's whether or not have I committed my time, talent, resources, and all of my life to this beautiful thing that God is inviting me to. And this beautiful thing that God is inviting you to is a sort of rescue mission for a broken and fallen world. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. Therefore go and make disciples. Tell people about me. Tell people about Jesus and his rescue efforts that he's gone to great lengths for to redeem and save a broken and fallen world. And so he says, come and paint this mural with me and share the kingdom of God and make the world a more beautiful place by making disciples of Jesus. You've been asked to come and be a part of this, to come and join Jesus in his mission in the world. It wasn't just for Jesus to die on the cross and raise from the dead and forgive us our sins, that it would become our life's goal and mission and aim to glorify him in all aspects of our lives and every inch of creation would point to his glory. And so you're invited. You're invited to go. Go and become a part of God's mission. He's saying, here's the paintbrush. Go and make something beautiful. And those beautiful things, we know those beautiful things. Children giving their lives to Christ broken and hurting people, being healed and forgiven. We know the goodness of God is when those who are far from God are brought near. 
those with addictions that have felt like they have no place in the world and are completely lost, that are freed from their addictions and freed in Christ. You know, the people that have experienced extreme brokenness and suffering and difficulty, yet they still find joy because Jesus is their king. The world is made beautiful by making disciples, by getting people to follow Jesus one person at a time. Then we also consider what it is that we do once we learn that Jesus is king and that Jesus reigns in our lives. And we consider then how many people's lives have been made better and more beautiful because of Christians who love Jesus. How many hospitals have been built because people love Jesus? How many pantries have been made and fed those who are sick and suffering and hurting who have been filled with a meal because of pantries that Christians said, you know, we need to feed the hungry, we need to care for them. How much beauty has been created because of the church who has gone and made disciples. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. And he says, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I've had people leave the church because of my position on baptism. And my position on baptism, as arrogant as it's going to sound right now, my position on baptism is Jesus' baptism. Uh, view on baptism. He says baptize, right? <laughs> so go baptize. And whether you're, uh, you know, and it gets way messier after that. But Jesus says to go and baptize. I've run into things that my position uh, upsets people over. And I understand that. But Jesus teaches us to go, go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The word baptize means immerse. You lower them into the water, you raise them out. That's what the word means. I don't know how to make it any less offensive. I know that there are convergences of stories and makes people feel uncomfortable. Like, my mom wasn't baptized that way. She was sprinkled. And you're like, did they go to hell? Well, I would love to be able to say Jordan is the one who decides those things, right? Who's in and who's out? So don't hear me like I have the authority over who God redeems and saves and who he doesn't. Hear me as one who says, this is what the Bible's teaching. Let's do our best to follow what the Bible says. If you haven't been baptized, if you haven't been uh, one to have totally surrendered your life and lower your life into the baptism waters of joining in Jesus' death, and being raised out of the water into new life, then I invite you to do that and ask questions. And my tone came off a little more critical and negative than I wanted it to be. The th very thing, but it's a thing that was meant to unify us in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And I think the enemy has done a great job of creating division over it. He does that over the things that matter. Communion, baptism, and I'm sure a bunch of other stuff, but that seems to be the, the two heavy hitters, right? But a thing that's pointing to the glorified Jesus who's risen from the dead. Let's find unity in that. That there is forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. We respond to that in confession of who Jesus is by entering into baptism, being raised into new life. If you haven't experienced that, you want to know more, if you want to argue with me about it, well, let's bring it on, and let's, uh, let's have conversations, though.
about what it means to follow God and fully surrender our lives to him. There are Christians who've been baptized and it was honestly just a really awkward bath. They never fully surrendered. So let's talk about surrendering our life to Jesus and what it means. Let's fully surrender our hearts to God today and say, I live a new life in him. I want to live a new life in him. I want to be blessed and forgiven and a new life filled with the spirit of God. And I believe baptism is a part of how you do that. I have to do the whole thing. I haven't memorized the scripture, but I have to do it in order, and so I have to recite it out loud. Kind of like the ABCs, you know, it's like, where does, where does L come in the alphabet? And you have to do the whole thing to find out where it is, what comes before it. So all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. What did Jesus teach? He taught us, at the very least, two things, right? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, It's said that there's 613 laws in the Old Testament. I would say there's two laws in the New. 613 or two. Would you like Ikea instructions? Or would you like Lego instructions? Uh, If you've ever experienced Ikea instructions, um, the seven layers of hell, there's six is Ikea instructions, and then seven, no. uh, It's not that bad, but it's really small pictures, and you just sort of hope to God the entire time that it comes together. Uh, There's, and you know, whatever. But Legos is one piece, one at a time, so easy a three-year-old can do it. And it's not that it's the comparison breaks down, but it is the heart of God that says to us, if we would get these two things right, it's the heart of Jesus that says, would you love God with all that you are? And would you love your neighbor as yourself? And so then when we take that and we sort of flesh it out in our life and in our existence and we think about what it means to teach others to obey Christ. It is to say the fulfillment of Christ is that through his death, burial, and resurrection there is forgiveness of your sin. And he has poured out his love for you and now I want you to go and pour out that love into the world. So treat others the way you want to be treated. Care for them, love them, be generous to them, pour your life out for them just as Christ poured his life out for you. And love God. Be in love with God. Think of him. Consider his ways. Know what interests him. Know his will. Know his heart. Seek his will above all else. And what, you know, and and just examine your life. What in your life is outside of what Jesus commands us to do? What, What habits, what things do you fill your life with? what sort of things come out, the fruit that sort of comes from your life. Is it love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Or is it all of the things that Paul warns us against in Galatians? Is it anger? Is it rage? Is it bitterness? Is it jealousy? Are these things coming out? Am I loving God? Am I loving others? So Jesus says, teach them to obey everything I've commanded. 
And if we just boil it down to just the absolute simplest form, there is no great commission without the greatest commandment. We have to have that supporting this commission. Otherwise, we're not beautifying the world. If you listen to people who have left the faith, if you listen to those who are bitter towards the church, if you hear those who are saying, yeah, Christians are nothing but a bunch of hypocrites, the Great Commission fails when Christians neglect the Great Commandments. It's that simple. And so let's get the greatest commandments down and seek to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all our mind, all our strength. Let's do our very best to eliminate the hypocrisy. We may never get all the way there, but let's work diligently at having a heart that beats and loves God, beats for and loves God, and that genuinely loves and cares for others. And then that gives us the sort of hand and feet to the great commission of what Christ calls us to. Let's support the commission with the commandment to love God and love others teaching them to obey everything I've commanded, and then it's this final promise. There was a great moment in the life of Moses sort of wrestling with the Israelites. It was another mountaintop experience, and Moses is wrestling with God, and God drops uh, this sort of hammer on Moses. He says, yeah, um, about this whole going with you thing, I'm not going to do that. And Moses' jaw hits the ground, and he says, uh, that's not what we agreed on. And he said, well, they've been rebellious. They've gone after other gods. I'm really kind of done with this whole thing. And Moses says, if you don't do this, if you don't go with us, there is no chance. There is no chance for us to survive. There's no chance for us ever to make it where you're trying to get us. You have to go with us. And God's kind of like, well, I know that. And oh, by the way, I'm going to go with you. And, you know, and then this is where the cartwheel would come in, Rick. He wanted me to do a cartwheel today. We can pretend that Moses at 100 does a cartwheel, and he says, yippee, way to go, God. Thank you for going with us, because without you, we stand no chance at all. Jesus knows this about our condition. He knows those that hesitated are going to hesitate no longer if they trust in the presence of God that's going with them. And Jesus fulfills his promise, and he says to them, I will be with you to the very end of the age. On the mountaintop, one more time, God says, I will go with you wherever my spirit is taking you. I will go with you. I will lead you. And so you can go and make disciples. You can go and teach people to, be, uh, to follow him and fully submit to him through baptism. You can teach people about my commands and obey them. You can go and you can fulfill this mission. You can go and make the world the beautiful place I desire to be. You can go and capture hearts for the kingdom of God. You can go and rescue people from darkness. You can go and tell people that they don't need to live in sin any longer, but there's a Savior who died for them. You can go and you can take the one hill after the next, proclaiming Jesus as Lord and King and victory, victor over sin and death. You can help people know that there is one God who reigns, and his name is Jesus Christ. You can go. Because he's going with you. He's going with the church. And so this mission doesn't depend on you. This mission depends on God going with you. It depends on this God who has commissioned you and given you the authority to go and be a part of it.
And so I invite you, I invite you to dream a little bigger about what it means to be a Christian in today's world. Are there people who need to know about Jesus? Is there a community that needs to know that Jesus is Lord, that he's died for them and rescued them? Are there people right here in our own congregation who needs comfort and love and generosity and kindness and support and prayer and food and shelter and love and family? Go and make disciples. We need to have a vision so ravishing, so beautiful, so compelling that reminds us that we cannot do this unless God goes with us. Sometimes I think we've watered down this whole thing to the point where we don't need God to do what we want to do. Do we need God to accomplish the mission that's set before us? To put love where it isn't. To go to a hurting and broken world. There's times where I meet with people and I think, why on earth did you call me? I can't fix this problem. And then it's like, oh, Jordan, you dummy. You never could. But there's one who can. In every situation we go to, it's can we point people to the one who can help them? Does my life believe, do I, my actions support this notion and understanding that no matter what we pursue, it won't be accomplished unless God goes with us, God is leading it, going before us, God supporting us, God commissioning us. We need God. And live a life where you are aware, clearly aware, that to go forward, I need to go forward only with the power, presence, love, and support of Jesus Christ through his spirit, through the love of the Father. The mission doesn't depend on you. It depends on a God who goes with you. It's his heart that the world might know Jesus is king and his kingdom is here. The kingdom of God has come through Jesus, crucified on the cross, risen from the dead, who reigns from heaven above over all creation. Does Jesus have authority over you? Let's pray. God, we love you so much. And we thank you for today. We thank you for your hope and your encouragement that you give us in every moment. Lord, there are needs, there are problems, there are, uh, Lord, solutions in which we have no idea, no idea how it can be accomplished or what can be done. But we know who can. And Lord, there are people who are hurting who need you. There are people who are lost who need to find you. There are people who are lonely who need to know of your presence. Lord, some of them Christians, some of them not. But Lord, we want to be used by you. We want to accept this commissioning to go, to teach, to baptize, to follow you. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for today, and we thank you for the gospel of Matthew and what it teaches us about your son Jesus. Help us today, Lord, to know 
that we live under the authority of Jesus. So we surrender to you. We surrender our hearts. We surrender our time. We surrender our finances. We surrender our family. We surrender our ego. We surrender our, our agenda. We surrender our hearts, our mind, our strength, all that we are. We surrender our soul to you. Lord, be our shepherd. Lead us, go with us, prepare a table before us, anoint us, lead us to still waters, comforting grassy hills and comfort and strength and hope. Lead us in the valley of darkness and death that we would point people to you. We love you, God, and we praise you. We thank you for the life we have in Jesus. We lift praise to you now. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand when we're